My name is Julie Winthrop and I'm a module leader for Ethics in a Complex World, which is open to all students in the university. It's in its fifth year this year and we've begun to open our lectures to any student and member of staff that would like to come along. And Claire, you were kind enough to do one of our lectures for us. And would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, well, thank you, Julie, and thanks to all the coordinators of the module. It was great, actually, to be part of it. So my name is Claire, Claire Gar. I'm one of the lecturers in the law school. I started last year, so it's my second year. And uh, yes, I was pleased to be part of the team. <laughs> thank you. And we've had another open lecture this week into uh, looking at solitary confinement. And we look at all sorts of topical issues so that students can investigate a subject of their choice. And sometimes they choose to look at the kinds of things you've introduced as lecturers and researchers. And your title, the title of your lecture was, Should Non-Nationals Have a Right to Health on the Same Basis as Nationals? And I know that you've just been awarded your PhD. Yes. So would you like to tell me how you became interested in this topic? Sure. So, yes, I, I was just awarded recently with a PhD, which is good and good that it's done. So my PhD is about the right to health. And I'm trying to clarify what that right actually means, because the problem with this right, one of the problems anyway, um, that are affecting the right and its realization that we don't really understand fully what it entails, what type of rights it creates uh, for individuals, what type of obligations it imposes upon states. So the point of my PhD is really to try and clarify the legal content of that right, the right to health. And I'm doing this, of course, by looking in particular in human rights mechanisms and what, how they might interpret it and what they might say to us that could help us to understand it. So that's what I did. And of course, during the course of that, uh, of that, of the writing of the thesis, I I did happen to touch upon the notion of non-nationals, um, because if we want to understand what is the right to health and what rights it creates, we have to of course think about who can benefit from it. So that was why I became very interested in that specific issue as well as part of the PhD. Congratulations. Thanks. And. It's very topical at the moment. We were, we were so pleased that you could talk to us about it because we see our news filled every night with big movements of people across Europe. And are there particular things going off of our question list? Are there things that you think we should be learning about this, these kind of ideas, that the idea of who is a non-national, who you, you spent some time in the lecture being very clear that some of the terms we use, such as legal and not legal, aren't really very helpful. So the terms that we'll use through this conversation will be non-national, national. Yes, sure. I mean, it's just an easy way really to, to, to understand the issue, or to, should I say to approach it. But because the overall point of the lecture and of my research is to actually show that the right to health is for everyone, in the end, classifications and categorization, they do not matter as much. The, the, the positive aspect of using that term non-nationals mm -hmm. just means that we can refer to various types of vulnerable populations as a whole. So that includes 
refugees, that includes undocumented migrants, that includes migrants. Um, so that's that's just quite a helpful way to to look at it, I guess, uh, in the frame in the framework of the of the lecture. But that said, um, it's just one type. Um, yes, it's just one terminology. Mm-hmm. And when we discussed it with students in the seminar following the lecture, we found ourselves going back to terms like migrants and refugees. Do, is there anything that you would? like to say about the way we use language in, in, in relation to this subject? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to not sound too lawyer but uh, I'm afraid I'm going to be a little bit lawyer. Um, the, the What is important in the terminology is, so for instance, a person who is going to be called a refugee is going to benefit from a specific protection from specific rights, uh, is going to have access to specific mechanisms uh, which are not the same than the mechanisms uh, that a person called undocumented migrants might benefit from. So it's simply a matter for us lawyers to know exactly what we are dealing with in terms of situation of vulnerability uh, and how we might address that and help the individual at stake. So it is actually a difficult it is difficult, I guess, when we're not lawyer, in the sense that we use those terms uh, overall across various situations because there are a lot of situations which are causing problems, whether it's for refugees, for undocumented migrants, etc. But the point, the, the point of the of the lecture is to actually reflect on those notions and realize that if we're talking about human rights, the very essence of it, at least, doesn't matter which classification we use or which terminology we use because the overall point of human rights law is to provide rights for everybody just for the very for the very reason that you and I are human beings this is why we benefit from those fundamental rights that protect our dignity so whether you or I are refugee or migrants or non-nationals as a whole um, doesn't matter that much well that's in any case, yeah. that's what human rights law tries to say. In reality, it's not what happens. And, and you spent some time just running through the, the kind of history of the notion of rights. Is there, is there something you'd like to say about that kind of very important set of principles that have emerged from, from that body of, of work? Yeah, sure. Something that students could perhaps remember, and if there is something definitely that I try to convey through the lecture, is that human rights is not just a creation of uh, idealist <laughs> and utopian academics. It's actually it stems from a long history of desires from individuals, from states, to protect the vulnerable against the powerful, and that we can see it with Magna Carta, with the French uh, Declaration, 1789, uh, etc., etc. All of those are about create, creating a safety net, a protection for individuals when it comes to the abuses uh, from those in power. So, of course, after World War II, that became a little bit the sacralization of the notion that we now call human rights. But this is coming from a very long history, from a very long history where the vulnerable uh, deserve protection. I think what is very important to think about when we are referring to the notion of human rights is that, how to say this, we are all interested in it. We all have an interest in human rights. Not only do we have an interest 
for moral reasons because of the type of society that we desire to live in. Do we want to live in a society that makes distinction uh, based on gender, ethnicity, religions, etc.? Mm -hmm. But also for very utilitarian or uh, self-centered reasons that it, today the persons uh, who are threatened uh, are refugees. Tomorrow it could be Catholic, Buddhist, it's unfortunately today it's Muslims too. Again, the day after, it might be gender, sexual orientation that will be targeted. I think that this is really the questions that human rights is asking is, why is it that we all need to be protected um, to the same degree? Because at the end of the day, we all are different for a reason X or Y. And that very reason X or Y can always, always be used to attack our dignity as human beings. But today, or the few weeks ago, what I did focus on was non-nationals mm. and the, the right to health in particular. And you certainly made a, a point of uh, expressing that notion of not differentiating between types of people on those kind of bases. Through the lecture, you, you talked about the importance of the, the law applying to everybody. But you also said that's not necessarily what happens in reality. So what's the difference in what, what happens in reality and what the law or what the, the Human Rights Act actually promotes? Yes, so I mean, the, the how to say this, saying that there is a law and, and then saying that it's going to be respected is two different things, but it's not just... That, that difference is not just happening uh, at the international level, it happens at the domestic level. There are plenty laws that clearly criminalize murder or rape in the UK. It doesn't mean that uh, it's well respected, sadly. Mm -hmm. And it's the same with human rights law. There are various treaties that states have clearly expressed their consent uh, to apply mm -hmm. that do recognize the right to health. And they also do recognize that right for everybody. Unfortunately, if states decide to, to not uh, fulfill their obligations and not respect their, the commitments that they took, they can do so. And the problem with states is that I was making a, a parallel between criminal law here in the UK mm -hmm. and human rights law at the international level. It is true that because the law exists, it doesn't mean it's going to be respected, but at least at the domestic level for criminal law, for instance, there's going to be a police, uh, that will catch the, the suspect, there's going to be an investigation, uh, there's going to be a trial, and then that person might be sent to jail if the, the accused has been actually found guilty. In human rights law, it doesn't work like this, obviously, because the accused is actually a state, and every state is sovereign. Uh, there is no international police to catch a state. There is not always a very good investigation that's being carried out, and unfortunately, that leads to the to to certain degree of impunity sometimes there are definitely progress in human rights law there are things that are being done when rights are being violated and i think ngos are absolutely fantastic for that because they create a pressure they create an environment in which states don't want to be violating rights mm -hmm. otherwise they're going to be uh, pointed at as the bad guys you also talked about the notion of states agreeing to these to these things together but then also being the very problem in and, and you've just kind of recapped on that that somehow even though they may sign up if individual states fall short or or act in a different way 
to the to the majority that that's very hard to kind of do anything about yes that's true very difficult so these were big ideas for the students to get their heads around and and (laughs) you did it very very carefully and i just wonder uh if if there were key things that you wanted to make the students and 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 our, our listeners become curious about or become troubled by uh, what would be those kinds of things that this is disrupting in some ways the notion that everybody in one country is entitled to something but then if people come from another place they might not be what are the things you'd like them to be going away and researching or thinking about or be be slightly troubled by well, I think the point of university is to travel <laughs> students, isn't it? We try to. <laughs> we try to, yeah. <laughs> but I think as human beings, we have to challenge ourselves all the time. We, we all have preconceptions on issue X or Y uh, for various reasons. Most of those reasons often come from our education or the medias or certain discourse that we may follow, politically speaking. But the real point of going to university is to to think about it clearly, thinking about, okay, what is it that I tend to believe? Why do I believe that? And if I look at actual research, does it make sense to believe that? Uh, Has it been confirmed by people who have spent a lot of time researching on that very issue? Mm -hmm. And if the answer is yes, it does make sense, fine, perhaps it's worth exploring even further. And if the answer is actually no, it doesn't really make sense why you're thinking that way, well then, Great, it was worth challenging the, the idea then. So I, I would actually encourage students to challenge themselves, but to challenge us too, mm-hmm. um, because I think we're all part of a, a community who, who like this uh, kind of debate and uh, food for thought. So what I, would, what I would suggest, and I would definitely suggest this for me too included, is why is it that we're thinking of human rights? What is important about it? What about the right to health? Where does it fit? What does it try to protect? And especially, who does it try to protect and why? And I think all those questions, they're certainly enormous questions, but they're worth being asked. Okay. So if you st- think so too, Julie. <laughs> I, I think they're incredibly important questions. And I think uh, the kinds of questions that the students were asking in the small group in the, in the uh, week were things like, well, what happens if we can't afford it? And you must hear that quite a lot. Absolutely. So how would you answer that question of theirs? Well, how can we afford to give everybody health care if they haven't contributed or haven't paid taxes? Or what, What's your answer to those kinds of questions? I think that this is quite problematic, those questions. They really show that the answers that have been found to those questions, or at least in part, because there isn't... One easy, uh, one easy way to answer the, the question of resource in the provision of healthcare, but the, it seems that those answers are not being used actually in political discourse or simply in discussions. It sounds like a lot of policy, policy making, a lot of decisions that are being taken at the international level as well, not simply uh, at the national level. They're based on preconceptions and stereotypes and ideas that have not been proved to be true. And if we continue to persist in those preconceptions, if we don't try to actually answer those questions properly, yes, how can it be possible, Mm -hmm. financially-wise, to provide healthcare for everyone? That is a very important question. Mm -hmm. But if we don't try to make that effort, 
and looking actually into it rather than simply saying, well, it's impossible, then how can we ever actually come to terms with what we have to do? There have been researchers showing that actually what we called in the, in the lecture non-nationals, first of all, they do contribute enormously in terms of taxes. They don't necessarily use more um, health resources than other groups in the populations, actually perhaps even less. British people also, if we're using the context of the UK, UK nationals also actually do, do use health resources when they go abroad. Mm-hmm. So there's some type of uh, exchange, uh, if, you want, uh, if that makes sense. Also, various research can also, can also show the benefits of actually providing healthcare to non-nationals, regardless of their contribution, regardless of UK nationals also receiving healthcare abroad. The, the reason for that is simply that health is a common good. So if you're not vaccinating a certain group in the population or if you're deciding to let that vulnerable group, I don't know, die from a, from a, for, from a very specific disease, it might actually also affect the rest of the population. And after, of course, come the moral reasons, but we talked about it earlier. Mm. Which society do you want to be living mm. in? Do you want to live in a society which leaves certain people on the side because of just certain traits that characterizes them, such as ethnicity or nationality? Or do you want to live in a society that provides basic essentials to the same degree for everyone, regardless of those mm-hmm. characteristics that differentiate us? And so I think they're all, at least, I don't know, um, good way to start, perhaps. In the ethics module, we're not wishing to indoctrinate them with a particular (laughs) view, but we are wishing for them to uh, be able to justify their arguments in terms of both practical and social and economic arguments, but also in terms of the, the bigger questions about things like what kind of society ought we to create, or would I wish to live in? Or how do I wish to be with my fellow citizens? Or and those are those are really interesting areas that you forced us to get thinking about because some of those questions apply regardless of nationals or non-nationals. They, as you said, they start to apply to other groups. And if we start to think of healthcare as a as a finite and limited resource, then we start to ask those kinds of questions anyway. Absolutely. We don't have to think of it in that way. We could think of other ways of understanding healthcare and health resources and care, which isn't always provided at cost by professionals. It may be provided by communities and families and, and, and others in less less formal roles. But your questions force us to think about those the sense of who is other, who who is who are we talking about. So that was really that was really welcome and, and very fruitful. If we go on to just think about the notions of rights, and you wanted us to consider arguments against the notion that non-nationals should have the same right to health than nationals, and also the strongest arguments. So what do you consider, Claire, to be the strongest argument against the notion that non-nationals should have the same right to health as nationals? I think that there are various arguments that can be discussed and that are often raised in the debate, but the one that certainly comes back the most often is expense of healthcare. The idea that healthcare is too expensive and we can't afford to provide it for everyone. This is certainly 
this is certainly a concern that we have to think about. Uh, and again, it's important that students ask themselves the question. It's not a, the, the point is not to be idealist and say everyone has the same rights. We have to question whether it's actually doable. Otherwise, otherwise the, the right doesn't have any meaning if it can't be provided. Mm-hmm. So certainly worth looking into it. First, I think in terms of practicality, there has been research showing that, well, it's not that clear, actually, that we can't afford it. First of all, non-nationals do contribute. Second, they, they also represent a very high percentage of the NHS health staff, 20%. Mm-hmm. And thirdly, uh, well, actually, does that mean that British nationals should not be provided healthcare elsewhere as well? Then we also have to think about, well, what does healthcare represent, even if it was too expensive, which hasn't been completely proved, actually, but even if it was, does that mean that we should still not provide it to people in need? That also pushes us to think about health as an investment. The UK sees certain aspects of, uh, of its everyday life or, or certain, certain parts uh, of its um, economy as assets that it's worth investing in. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, Low corporation tax is something that uh, the government is thinking about as something that is worth investing money in. We could certainly get a lot of money if we were to tax uh, corporations more, but the government is deciding not to because there is an investment to to be made. Um, So why would we not think about health that same way as an investment? Again, population in good health is going to show better productivity at work. It's going to actually be less costly to provide prevention health services uh, rather than uh, curative health services. So better to treat someone before they become ill uh, rather than after. So all of those things I think are definitely worth thinking about and that's what is really fascinating about health. Is It's just endless source of debate and reflection. I think there's just one final question. And I think the final question I'd like to ask you, Claire, as, a, as a, a law academic, what do you consider to be the importance of this? Do you think this is important to discuss across disciplinary boundaries? You were talking to a room full of students from uh, music and film and history and biomedical sciences and um, health sciences and medicine. Why do you think it's useful to discuss these things across those disciplinary boundaries? I think it's a great initiative. Uh, I think that your module is doing something really, really important and students might not grasp that uh, right now because they're starting it, but I'm sure they certainly will by the end of the semester, and maybe they already do. But the, the reason why we really have to gather our minds and our brains on it is because it affects all of us. And the title of your module I think it really is reflecting what is happening. We are living in a complex world and there isn't one way to look at it. Personally, as a law academic, I tend to approach matters in a certain way, with a certain methodology, and as a result going towards certain findings, because I'm a lawyer. It doesn't mean that those findings and that methodology are flawed, it just means that I approach it from a very specific angle. And the issue of health is extraordinarily complex and difficult, and it definitely requires that a lot of brains <laughs> are trying to think about the implications of health, what does health mean, how can we, how can we deal with it uh, to the best of our abilities. And certainly I would not be able myself as a lawyer to answer those questions on my own. 
I need uh, philosophers, I need economists in public health, uh, I need people doing international relations, of course, medical professionals. It's the, the list of experts and students and people interested in those issues is endless. So not only are we all concerned by health and are we all concerned by the world that we live in, also as academics, it's essential that we put our brains together, especially when it comes to issues like health, which are incredibly difficult. And when it comes to the health of non-nationals, well, sadly, it comes with topics at the moment which urgently need solutions. If we wait for lawyers only to provide those solutions, we won't be able to see to see an outcome. So, yeah, I think this is very important what the module is trying to do. And I hope students are having a good time. I'm sure they are. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. They are when they get lectures like yours and, um, and the other guest lectures we've had. I think that's great. Thank you very much, Claire. That, was, that was absolutely great. Thank, Thank you so much. Time. Thanks, Judy. Thank you. Thank you.